You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. This is Jessica, and I will be your host for today's episode. Pavel Luksha is a leading education futurist. He's a professor of practice at Moscow School of Management, Sklakovo, and director of Global Education Futures. What drives Pavel forward is creating a world that works for everyone. Recently, he and Tom met in Europe and talked about trends driving the future of learning, about their work together advising the new Whittle School Network, and an exciting new project Pavel is working on. Let's listen in. Pavel Luksha, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Hello. Uh, Pavel worked together in a spectacular place in Birkenstock, Switzerland. Uh, it's, it's great to see you. We both serve as uh, advisors to the Whittle School and Studio and uh, we're at an exciting meeting where the founding faculty is coming together before going back to Washington, D.C. and Shenzhen, China to open their respective schools. Um, ap- appreciated your comments this morning on, on uh, cosmopolitan values and want to dive into that, but um, would, would love to have you start by uh, describing how you came to be a, a, a global education uh, futurist. Hmm. Which is the name of my um, uh, organization, Global right. Education Futures. And um, very short story about the long and uh, winding road that brought me there uh, is that um, I used to work um, in, in, in corporate sector for quite a long time. And, uh, but I was also, also uh, very passionate about academia and system studies of, of the world. And uh, at some point, it was uh, around 2008, when a massive global economic crisis unfolded. Uh, I came to realize that uh, the shortcomings of um, uh, the perspective that the economy is taking, uh, the idea that uh, we need to look at current uh, issues uh, and disregard uh, our common futures is, um, is, is a big problem. And it's uh, a massive problem in two regards. One of them is uh, the consequences for natural environment and how the humanity in, in the interest of current uh, prospects of economy getting another uh, smartphone or uh, getting some profits that would allow you to get uh, uh, a bonus in the in the end of the quarter. Um, people are disregarding how they're destroying their uh, shared home. And the other thing is, uh, of course, uh, the future uh, of, of humanity itself and uh, future generations. And we don't really think about the future of, uh, of our kids properly. Uh, we know that the world is changing, uh, but we don't really ask ourselves to where is it changing. So uh, I wanted to provide some uh, sort of beacon for, for educators uh, and to maybe combine these two things, to combine the issue of uh, that makes uh, sure that um, the present and future generations thrive and not just survive, and also thrive in connection uh, with, the, with the bigger world. Because uh, it's such a magnificent view here, for instance, in Bergenstock, this beautiful lake uh, with basically drinkable water, clean air uh, in the mountains of uh, Alpine mountains. But uh, I'm thinking about many other places in the world that are becoming increasingly polluted 
by the industrial uh, civilization and, and the prosperity in Switzerland and some other places in the world uh, is also uh, dependent on those places remaining polluted. And, and that's, that's one of my concerns. How can we create the world that works for all? And I think the answer is that we need to change the way we learn, the, the way we get those skills. There are skills that, uh, and competences and knowledge that help us to, to, to create the world that works for all. And I think we don't need to invent anything new. We already have all the answers as a humanity. We just need to spread that knowledge about the ability to live in peace, the ability to create magnificent things, the ability to collaborate with each other and cultivate those things. And this is the role of education. That's a, a beautiful summary. In in the last session that you did with Kwame Anthony Appiah, you, you you raised a, a provocative uh, thought that we need to do more to uh, ask our civic leaders why we're spending so much on uh, preparing to kill each other and and not what we should on raising our children. Okay. There is a striking uh, figure that uh, was calculated by United Nations that uh, if we just stop the military spendings of uh, the leading nations for just eight days, we can provide uh, 12 years of free and quality education to all kids of the world. This is, I would say, this is astonishing. This is shocking and this is ridiculous in a way. Like how come the world is so unbalanced? How come we are afraid of uh, another war so much that we are prepared not to spend uh, even a little bit more on, on, on the future generation that uh, can help us live in global peace, in global prosperity, create an economy that works for all and so on. So that's, that's an imbalance we need to address. Pavel, you, you've written um, some reports that have been really important for me to understand uh, global trends in learning. I'd love to have you headline a couple of those trends that are reshaping learning, especially those that are um, aiming us at, at more important outcomes, at producing uh, more meaningful experiences and, and perhaps um, extending uh, access in more equitable ways. So what, what trends do you see in global learning? Mm. So, um yeah, first of all, uh, I think that it's important to remember that uh, global learning uh, system is embedded uh, in, in what is happening to our society. So we cannot separate uh, the issues of where it evolves to right. from uh, where societies evolve to. So the, the questions of how we will be impacted, for instance, by technologies that uh, reshape the future of uh, the world of work and whether or not uh, we will be, our jobs will be taken by uh, robotics and artificial intelligence, which, by the way, the, the more I explore this uh, with other colleagues, uh, the more we come to a, uh, to a conclusion that they will not be taken. But uh, uh, for that to happen, uh, we need to sort of upgrade ourselves. The, the models of industrial education, which was uh, based on... Um, uh, routinized learning and, uh, in a way, uh, submission to authority uh, will not work anymore. We need to uh, expand human creativity. We need to expand human collaboration. 
And there are so many beautiful uh, ways of learning together that allow us to do it. And also to, uh, I think, the question which you put uh, in the beginning of our conversation, the question of meaning, why we do what we do, is, is not just a question for us. Uh, it's, it's a question for everyone. Uh, the question of meaning is a guiding question in, uh, in reshaping ed- education. And I think uh, the idea that education needs to become more purpose-oriented, more passion-oriented, and uh, in a way help us discover what we are as human beings, what is our potential, how to unblock it, how to uncover it, how to fulfill ourselves in the world. This is the mission of education, ultimately, especially if we consider education not to finish at uh, the end of university. Uh, It actually is something that kind of accompanies us uh, for, for the lifetime. And I think this is one of big trends. We're truly shifting to lifelong learning and uh, the expanding opportunities uh, a lot of educators are providing uh, beyond just school, I think is, is what prepares us for this. We will be in the world where we le- learn for life and uh, we are already in this world and there are so many uh, opportunities, both technological, uh, but also personal in terms of uh, how we interact with other people in communities and all kinds of educational institutions. Uh, through hobbies, through learning at work, and so on. So I think the lifelong learning is a big trend uh, in general and creating all kinds of uh, platforms and solutions that help address it. Um, Bringing pedagogies uh, and also andragogies that allow us to uncover our potential, uh, to discover who we are. I think things such as uh, project-based learning, but also other forms such as play-based learning, which, uh, because project-based learning uh, is more focused on what is possible, what can we do right now, and how can we connect with the present reality. But a play-based learning, game-based learning, allows you to explore the, the potentialities and even the impossible. Uh, you would never be a, a king of Persia in a- ancient times, but you can play one and, and see what it means to be in that context. And and all, all kinds of things like this allow you to explore, explore the world. So, so new pedagogy is absolutely uh, important. I think that they're sort of coming up from uh, what used to be the corners of uh, like the margins of education. Like um, uh, we, we see how Waldorf education and, and other forms of alternative education suddenly uh, become uh, the models for 21st century education. Uh, and there is so much that they have created that we can now absorb into uh, education for everyone. Uh, and maybe one more significant trend that I find absolutely critical is that um, the present system is kept in its place by uh, the forms of assessment that we are using. Uh, standardized testing focused on uh, just cognitive abilities of uh, young kids is um is not what we need anymore because how can we measure creativity? How can we measure relationship building? How can we measure appreciation we have for another, one another, the empathy, uh, an ability to connect with people? So all of these things are increasingly important. Tests do not measure them, but we need some way of measuring them. So assessment is uh, greatly expanding. And I think there will be a re- revolutionary things happening because 
Uh, one of the things we need to think about is that uh, companies such as Google or Facebook have created those forms of assessment that actually profile us with all our preferences, with all our interests. And they create what they call digital twins of ourselves. But they use them only to sell us uh, more of the goods that we don't really need. And the question is, can we use it for the benefit of our students? Can we use the same methodologies and really create those digital profiles and then use them as what some call a formative assessment, the ones that help you, sort of guide you, they're not just tell you how good or bad you are in, in the society, but really guide you. And, and that can be one of uh, roles of technologies that uh, uh, really can reshape education. Thanks. That's a great summary. Uh, we we both advise the the Whittle School and Studio, and we're we're both very interested in uh, schools school networks, how schools work together to create uh, powerful learning experiences for young people. Uh, Whittle is interesting because it's a uh, has ambitions as a global network, uh, as a network that embraces uh, cosmopolitan values that really wants to create. Uh, global leaders that um, that seek to make uh, the world a better place. I, I wonder what your your reflections are on the opportunity for a, a global network like Whittle. Mm. Well, first of all, I'm uh, really proud to be uh, part of the advisory board uh, for for Whittle uh, because I think it's. Uh, uh, an incredible project, the idea to create, uh, to begin with, uh, 30 schools that would be built uh, in some of the most vibrant cities of the world, and not just only the, the western part of the world. It will be, uh, first two schools are built in uh, China and the US, and then there will be more schools added in places like London, Dubai, Sao Paulo, and many more. And uh, this is an opportunity not to, <laughs> that, 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 that also gives a, me a hope that uh, education indeed can play that role as one of the, uh, the factors in reshaping uh, and maybe even stewarding in a way the, the global civilization uh, by uh, raising a generation that takes responsibility for what's happening, but also not in a kind of elitist way. I think the, the the most important thing is that what I also enjoy about this project that it recognizes the responsibility of such project for those cities and uh, and for for, for uh, our, our world and that uh, the knowledge that is created uh, within the school uh, new methodologies new pedagogies need to be spread widely. Uh, that whenever it goes into specific city, it, the school can play a role in, in shaping some of the processes, connecting with learners, not only young learners, but also adult learners. There is a component called studios in this model, which I think is, is uh, fascinating. The idea that the school can serve not only young learners, but like everyone, uh, by providing uh, hobby education, uh, different kinds of educational clubs for all ages. And, and um, where I think it can lead to is that the school becomes one of those places where uh, citizens, uh, inhabitants of a specific city can discuss what's going on, what is their future, what they want to see in the city. And then the school can help cultivate it, like bring more art festival, 
bring more projects about environment protection and things like that. I think this is a this is a beautiful mission that the, the school can take. Uh, Pablo, you've been doing some research on learning ecosystems. Uh, what 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 are you learning there? Hmm. So first of all, uh, I think uh, the the word ecosystem starts to increasingly uh, come into the narrative uh, of education around the world. But a lot of people just uh, relabel the old things like partnerships, networks, or uh, even uh, sometimes uh, when you have a, a school network or university network, they say we are an ecosystem because we are uh, present in uh, several cities across the country. Uh, so we are an ecosystem. That's not an ecosystem. The, the idea of an ecosystem is that you have a diversity of players. Uh, you have different players with uh, maybe different purposes playing together. Uh, so it's a more complex way of organizing human learning where uh, independent uh, providers and influences of, uh, of learning can uh, start to work together and sort of weave uh, a number of learning trajectories or pathways or journeys of uh, learners, of uh, young learners and learners of all ages. So uh, that, that's one thing, the, the idea that we need to really think more deeply about what ecosystems are. The idea of ecosystems is, of course, that they are more flexible uh, than maybe the rigid national systems that are driven by national curriculum and, and this like top-down uh, authoritative way of conveying the change. And, and ecosystems allows for experimentation, allow, uh, allows for um, finding different pathways into developing system and also tuning the, to those local needs. So each ecosystem is unique in a way, like the, the ecosystem here in Lucerne would be really different from one in Moscow, one in Seattle, wherever we are. Um, so uh, what we are coming to, to also find is that ecosystems, uh, unlike in nature, but probably also in nature, uh, ecosystems are not just uh, arise from uh, uh, naturally. There is, no, uh, there is a natural process uh, how ecosystems grow uh, in nature, but uh, there are some roles in ecosystem taken by specific species that sort of cultivate these ecosystems. Some of them uh, are called ecosystem engineers. So for instance, if you think about a beaver and how they make a dam and then create a pond and all kinds of species uh, start to thrive in that uh, specific location. And then there are uh, also uh, species that are known as hosts of ecosystems. So if you think about a big tree, like sequoia tree or uh, a coral reef, they actually are hosting multitude of other species by providing home for them and providing the safe space. So um, we think that something similar uh, can be done to learning ecosystems. So there are uh, institutions and players that can play as hosts and, and schools in particular, especially schools such as Whittle can play that role or some of the leading universities. They are in a way uh, creating that space for everyone around them. Then there are also these kind of ecosystem engineers. So we discovered there is a particular role of an ecosystem organizer, someone who is not appointed by the ministry, who is not appointed by a university to do it, but they more often come from uh, NGOs or sometimes come from uh, educational innovators within one of the institutions. They realize that in order to 
create opportunities for lifelong learning and opportunities for kids and adults to develop holistically. There is no possibility to just provide it with one single institution, one single curriculum. There is a need to connect. Many of them may be grown new, uh, uh, new institutions. So they take a role of what we call ecosystem gardeners. So in a way, they kind of plan these projects, plan these opportunities. Also, they take a role of weavers, kind of weaving together different parts of this disconnected system back again into a, a tapestry. So these two roles, these two um, archetypes in a way, are, are what these ecosystem organizers are taking. And we find there is increasingly, uh, there is a growing, let's say, number of these people around the world that want to step into this role. And again, it's not a role that somebody appoints you. It's a role that you take and the role that is much more serving than leading. So you actually begin to create space for others to thrive. It's not about your own success. It's about the success of a system as a whole. And we th find it fascinating. It's some kind of trend that is it shows us the way how education is modeling the kind of change we need to the world in general. It's a, it's a beautiful description. Um, it, it made me think of many different early players in different um, parts of the United States that are organizing ecosystems. In, in some places, you can point to a university as an early mover. In some places, it's uh, in Kansas City, Coffin Foundation is an important player. In Pittsburgh, the Grable Foundation and Remake Learning is an important player. In Dallas, there's a new nonprofit data infrastructure called Commit Partnership, and they're um, incubating uh, early learning initiative, uh, a free college pathway initiative, and they've launched an advocacy initiative. So it's this multifaceted service organization that's seeking to enable others to do better work uh, together. So it's a, a, a beautiful set of observations. Um, and you're seeing this around the world beginning to play out? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's not on, definitely not unique to the United States. It's not even unique. I think it's it's more common in let's say Western type democracies, but even in places like Russia or China or in the institutional context of Africa or Latin America, mm. we see increasingly a number of uh, people that and an organization that start to take this role. Sometimes kind of under radar of uh, of these authoritative institutions. Right. Like in Russia, a lot of these thing, things are happening under radar, but they're happening. And I think they're transforming societies from within. Um, Pavel, when you, you think about ecosystems in different levels, earlier you talked about um, people and places and a more planetary view, but uh, talk about the, the different levels of ecosystems and how these different levels interact. So actually it's a, it's a very interesting question uh, that we also, we, when we explore the purpose of uh, why people are doing these ecosystemic projects. So, uh, um, and, and what, what is the purpose of them uh, in, in the end? Um, uh, one of the uh, context is of course, that there is always uh, a place-based uh, purpose, which is usually about the idea that we need to help a local economy, 
uh, become more uh, resilient. Uh, we need to provide uh, new kinds of skills for, for the economy and society. Right. Uh, we need to connect educators that work in this region and so on. So that's like place-based purpose. Um, then there is a, a planetary purpose. Like people start to see themselves as a part of this bigger movement that uh, helps transform education and helps connect education with uh, uh, the actual needs of our societies and, and address the challenges that uh, the modern civilization is facing. So a lot of these projects are about uh, bringing the sustainability values, uh, uh, empowering uh, young, peop young people or uh, creating opportunities for women uh, in places uh, like Indonesia uh, where uh, let's say the the traditional culture does not allow them uh, so much to um, uh, to lead successful and, and maybe more independent lives. Uh, so uh, ecosystem actually enable them to do it. Uh, but there's also another aspect which I find really very important. It's about uh, having a personal purpose in this. So it's 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 a kind of creating the environment that would allow you to thrive on a personal level, to live the life you would like to live. Not in terms of uh, having more uh, opportunities for more luxury, but more about having that deeper human connection with everyone, leading a meaningful life, doing meaningful things, and connecting with other people that are doing meaningful things. So it's kind of awakening to uh, a personal purpose of yourself. And then connecting that with everyone. Because I think that one of the reasons why we use the word ecosystem is about the idea that we need to bring life into, again, into a more machine-like civilization that we have become. And uh, of course, the notion of industrial education is, uh, is very common. The idea that the schools are modeled after factories uh, that uh, many people discuss it, so I don't repeat it, but... Um, uh, the only antidote, so to say, to this machine-like way of, of treating yourself and other humans is, is to awaken uh, the life in you and awaken life uh, in relationship. And remember that we are part of this uh, beautiful tapestry of life uh, where everything is living around us and we are part of this living planet. And, and that, is the, that is why ecosystems bring that pattern. They bring that type of relationship. The more humane, more lifelike, uh, more organic, more evolutionary-like. Um, and uh, and uh, one of the arguments that we suggest is that uh, uh, the, the project of uh, any ecosystemic project begins with relationship building that happens on a very, uh, on, a, on a pretty much on a micro level, level of uh, a classroom, a level of a single school, uh, the level where people just need to begin to cultivate this different, a different type of relationship, not let's say transactional relationship, but true deep human relationship, recognizing the other as a, as a, as a valuable and very interesting living being that is a complex, holistic living being, not just like my colleague in that particular role. And uh, I think this is where uh, the journey begins. Uh, we, wa we want to awaken ourselves back to who we truly are. Yeah, that's no, beautiful sentiment. You talked about that this morning in your uh, in your speech, um, it's interesting for you and I, having been in the private sector and and now been thinking about education futures for the last decade, that you and I both circle back to the power of relationship, that 
most human beings are uh, sparked to learn, we're motivated to learn by relationship and we often grow in, uh, in community. And you talked about that beautifully this morning. What kind of learning experiences help young people uh, discover and cultivate a sense of purpose? Hmm. Well, actually, I started to mention those already. So I think that uh, actually the, the, the only way, uh, well, not the only, but um, the main way to, to understand is, is to try and, and, and then listen to yourself. Uh, so uh, I think one of the uh, biggest shortcomings of uh, industrial education is a predefined curriculum that, so to say, one fits all, uh, one size fits all uh, type of thing. Um, the idea that we, we need to move beyond it, the idea of personalization, I think is deeply connected to finding that passion. But finding that passion requires something else. Uh, so. Apart from uh, giving it a try, that's the all kinds of pedagogies that put a student into more proactive role, like play-based, game-based, ex experience-based, uh, project-based, and so on. So anything that kind of awakes your uh, potential to do things, something, and, and see how the world reacts. It also requires another ability, which I think is uh, insufficiently cultivated in, in uh, the modern uh, education. It's an ability to listen to yourself. Mm. So it's a, that self-observation capability. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's a little bit more than just, uh, although that is an important part of it, is a contemplative kind of things, such as uh, being able to observe your state. Um, and I think the, the idea that we need and we can start our schools with a short meditation, which kind of brings uh, kids into more uh, focused, uh, uh, more connected, brings them, become, makes them more connected, bring them into more connection with what, what they're learning. That's part of the story. But I think there's, uh, and uh, we need to cultivate this ability to self-reflect and uh, and to perceive yourself. And, and, and um, that cannot be done uh, also if you do it alone. So that requires a relationship. That requires... Uh, cultivation of both the self-observation capability, but the ability to observe other, relate to them. So this ability to empathize and to understand yourself through others, through dialogues, through seeing the other as a kind of mirror for yourself, right. but also someone else who gives you a perspective that you kind of lack, but and it can be kind of, it gives you, tells you something about yourself. So, so this dialogue culture, the, the, the culture of, of mutual reflection, uh, I think is a very, very important component of it. And empathy is, is a foundation of this. That was beautifully stated. Um, the, 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 the corollary that goes with this um, beginning to discover yourself and your sense of purpose is, is cultivating um, a mindset of contribution, of serving others, of spotting opportunity and, and delivering value. And it's really powerful when we can combine these two of, of contributing with a sense of, of purpose. Um, one of the things that we both appreciate about community-connected project-based learning is that young people have the opportunity to connect with real audiences and deliver products of mm -hmm. value to others and see the reward in, uh, in serving others. And then, as you said, the sense, uh, the ability to reflect on that experience and, 
and understand whether that uh, that experience is really part of your your personal purpose is a is a powerful thing. What's next for you? What what are you beginning to think about? Well, um, f- for us, there are, let's say for, for me and the group that I'm leading, there are two kinds of uh, situations we're facing. So there is on one hand what you call the legacy. Uh, I'll work on the uh, work on futures of legacy uh, in a way. Uh, uh, is is uh, all of these uh, exploration that we did about the future of skills, uh, uh, the new models of learning and so on, have become some tool sets that we are trying to put into the world and, uh, and uh, let's say, free ourselves of them so that the people just uh, right. simply use them. So we created maps of the future, we created all these methodologies. Um, there was a lot of work on uh, future skills that we now connect with the organization called World Skills. It's like an Olympic Games in in uh, the world of jobs, uh, and it's one of the leading organization that helps spread the uh, uh, international uh, uh, top professional standards and, and new ways of uh, professional education globally. Uh, and we uh, cultivating within that organization an initiative called Mission Talent which uh, brings the idea that uh, professional education needs to become human-centered, lifelong, and emphasize this uh, proactive component, uh, uh, what people call sometimes existential skills, these qualities of a character that allow you to thrive in in different uh, contexts. And of course, a lot of work on learning ecosystems, uh, um, cultivating that role of uh, uh, ecosystem leader together with some uh, other uh, international players, including a lot of people from Ashoka Foundation, we created a, 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 an institution called Weaver Academy, which is like an educational institution for these ecosystem organizers. But those are things that we consider legacy. Now, uh, what truly inspires me is a potential uh, upcoming project. Uh, it's it's uh, a recognition that um, basically we are in the situation right now where all of these beautiful things need to happen and will continue to happen, but we need to accelerate our uh, recognition of the impact that we as civilization are making on, on the planet and, uh, uh, and on ourselves. Because if we don't really accelerate that ability to see, not only young people, not only next generation, but uh, adults like everyone, and if we don't engage sufficient number, what is known the critical mass of people in, in helping to reshape the pathways of our civilization, we are doomed. And uh, we are talking about really very short time scale. We are talking about next 20 to 30 years that will be decisive. If we are not, if we just continue on the pathway we are taking, uh, evidence shows that uh, Within a hundred years, the planet may become inhabitable for us. And there is no way to mend it with whatever technology we have because the complexity of the planet is much beyond our comprehension. There is is one calculation that shows that the complexity of biosphere is 20 magnitudes higher than all the technosphere that humans have created. So it's one and 20 zeros times much more complex. And it's an uh, incomprehensible figure that uh, human civilization is not able to overcome in any meaningful amount of time. We just simply don't have that time. So the only way to go forward is to uh, begin uh, to, to learn how to be more modest, to begin appreciating that we are part of this much bigger system 
and uh, that has a, a life and intrinsic value of its own and, and learn how to reconnect with it and learn how to mold our ways in the, in, so that we are not harming, uh, harming it. And so uh, our initiative is called uh, University for the Planet. And uh, the big dream we have is to create an educational institution that helps uh, beginning with uh, some people that are more active role, but giving them those necessary skills that help them connect with our uh, common future and also creating uh, a system of what we call hubs, uh, learning centers for lifelong learning around the world that will be focused on just any city skill that you need to have, but also will do that kind of transformative uh, work and engage people in the, in the, in the globally responsible uh, citizenship. Uh, so uh, that's a big dream, and I hope that uh, we will begin prototyping it already this year. It's, uh, it's, it's an exciting vision. It, it sounds like a place where you could really encourage interdisciplinary exploration because we, we clearly need to gather scientists and sociologists and ecologists and Everyone. political scientists to attack uh, this in as many ways as we can. So Absolutely. I love the vision. Um, it's always a thrill to be with you. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you very much. A big thanks to Pavel for joining us on today's episode. His ambitions for a planetary university are exciting. If you want to learn more on trends in learning, check out episode 183, where Tim Taylor talks about succeeding in the age of agility. That's it for today, listeners. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. And as always, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a review so we can keep improving and more innovators can find us. Everything we talked about is in today's show notes and on the blog, so check them out and keep on learning. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.